This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I think in terms of the timing of this trip, too, not only is this a really important moment politically, but I think it's a really important moment in that there's still hope. We've seen how resilient these salmon populations can be. And so if we give them this opportunity before it's too late, we can see this massive turnaround. We can see these populations return in huge numbers because we've seen that other places. And so there's so much that's already been put in, everything except removing the dams, everything except breaching the dams. And uh, I think that's also one of the most important things about the timing of this trip is that it's not too late. This episode comes to you again from Idaho, from three separate interviews with six fascinating people who are working to breach the four lower dams on the Snake River in Washington State. A group of four women have been paddling the rivers from Idaho where the salmon spawn, down the Salmon River to the Snake River, past all four dams, down the Columbia River past another four dams, and are right now getting close to the Pacific Ocean. They call themselves the Grand Salmon Source to Sea Crew. They are paddling to gain public attention about the topic of Snake River Basin Spring and Summer Chinook Salmon and their looming extinction. I sat down with them in May in Salmon, Idaho, on a day off from their journey to hear about this story. That interview is the first conversation of this episode. And there is a group of over 2,000 young people led by high school students in the Pacific Northwest who are doing on-land work to also gain attention about this looming extinction of the salmon. In two separate interviews, I talked with Shiva, who is 17 and is the national leader of Youth Salmon Protectors, and then with Scout, who is 16 and is the leader of the Lewiston, Idaho chapter of Youth Salmon Protectors. These interviews are the second half of this episode. In the previous episodes on salmon, you heard the details and the data about the Snake River Basin spring and summer Chinook salmon, how they had massive historic runs, and how after the building of the lower four Snake River dams, the numbers began to drop to the point that these fish were placed on the federal endangered species list. You also heard about the life cycle of this fish that takes it from the mountains of Idaho out to the Pacific Ocean and back to the Idaho mountains. You can listen to both of those episodes before or after this episode. From Washington State, Governor Jay Inslee and U.S. Senator Patty Murray have released a joint draft plan considering the option of breaching the lower four Snake River dams. They are taking public comment on this topic and that plan right now, and the comment window closes on July 11th of this year. You can find a link to the public comment option in today's episode notes, or by searching online for the Murray-Inslee Salmon Report. From a small cabin sitting near the Salmon River in Salmon, Idaho, here is the Grand Salmon Source to Sea crew of Alia, Libby, Haley, and Brooke. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sam, and uh, thanks for coming to the River Radius podcast. Would you all um, Would you all take a turn to introduce yourself? Tell me your name, your role in this adventure, this trip, this journey, and tell me a little bit about your life otherwise. My name is Alia Payne. I am one of the paddlers on the Grand Salmon team, and I am also our main filmmaker, although everyone's going to be helping out. I am originally from an island off of Seattle. I've been living in California. I have a background in science. I studied geology for my undergrad degree, uh, but also commuted to an art school, and I've been doing some film work um, since graduating. So a lot of freelance film work, and then I was working at a video production company in Oakland. I've also been a whitewater raft guide for the last five years, also mostly in California, although I've been pretty fortunate to be able to go to different states quite a bit as well. My name's Libby Toby. I am also one of the core paddling team on this project. Uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City. I did my undergraduate degree in environmental science, uh, and then just finished up a master's degree uh, in resource conservation with focus on international conservation and development. I took a lot of time off between my undergraduate and graduate studies. Spent a lot of that time as a river guide and a whitewater kayak instructor, mostly around the western U.S. here in the States, and then abroad as well in Ecuador, Nepal, and New Zealand, largely. The time that I wasn't on the river during that interval, um, did a lot of environmental education, did some sort of environmental consulting, and I'm excited to sort of bring all those pieces together in, in this project. My name is Haley Thompson. I was born in Hawaii, but have lived in many places. I now call Alaska home. 
I grew up on the river. Both of my folks were whitewater paddlers, and I started racing in slalom when I was quite young and competed for the U.S. for a long time. I joined the Coast Guard when I was 18. I went to the Coast Guard Academy and graduated with a bachelor's in marine sciences with a focus on salmonid fisheries biology, as well as ocean dynamics. And then I worked on ships in Alaska and worked in maritime law enforcement and fisheries. And about a year ago, I got off active duty and started doing art and graphic design full time. And I'm part of our core paddling team on the Grand Salmon Source to Sea. All right, I am Brooke Hess. I grew up in Missoula, Montana. I learned to kayak when I was 12-ish years old. My dad taught me how to kayak, and I kayaked with the Zootown Surfers in Missoula. I got my undergraduate degree in geoscience with a focus on fluvial geomorphology, so that's river geology. And then I recently graduated from a master's program. I got a master's in journalism with a focus on science writing. And I did my thesis on the issue of the lower Snake River dams and how they are impacting the salmon populations of the Snake River Basin. But in between undergrad and grad school, I spent a lot of time competing for the U.S. freestyle kayaking team. I traveled all over the world, New Zealand, Argentina, Africa, doing competitions for this project. I'm one of the core paddling team members. Would you all tell me, and, and whoever wants to take turns, share it around, what are you doing? What's this big picture of your, whatever you're doing? You're doing a lot of things, There's a lot of things on the floor in this little cabin. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure how they would fit into boats, but I guess they go. And, you know, things like the rivers you're covering, the, the miles, the amount of time, the boats, because you have various boats, various mechanisms of travel. Yeah, tell me about that. This is Libby. I would start by saying certainly all the things on the floor in this cabin do not fit in kayaks. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, we appreciate the fact that you've, you've waded into the center of our explosion. This trip really started, I guess we can go back to the, the origins of this trip, was uh, a, a quite comical day in the Locksaw. Uh, when Brooke and I, um, we borrowed a Topo Duo, and we decided to go for a, a pretty high water lap down the Locksaw. And in that kind of adrenaline-packed, really fun day on the Locksaw, we started talking about the fact that, you know, we both, you know, were about to start graduate programs, um, and we we wanted to combine sort of our our love of river sports, our love of rivers, our love of paddling, with our sort of more scientific backgrounds. Um, and, you know, we, we were both very well aware at that point of the issue of declining fisheries, um, specifically declining salmon and steelhead fisheries in the Snake River Basin. And so this project, as it sort of evolved, you know, centers around that decline and around the, the really interesting opportunities that exist right now to do something for those declining populations. You know, there, there is a lot of momentum, both popular and political, that has been sort of building around the push to remove the lower Snake River dams. And so seeing that, that day in the Locksaw, you know, we, we decided that, you know, maybe there was some way to combine, you know, recreation, paddling, um, with a, a bit of an advocacy push towards both getting those dams breached, hopefully, as well as working towards a moratorium on the Stibnite gold mine in the East Fork of the South Fork salmon headwaters, uh, which is one of the other many, many pressing threats to salmon and steelhead populations, but one of the outstanding ones that we felt we might have a chance at raising some awareness for and contributing to the momentum around. Physically, what this journey is, is about a thousand miles, I think a little bit over. We are going to start by skiing the headwaters, ideally of each fork. We'll see how it goes with this last fork, but we're doing three separate headwaters. So we're doing the middle fork, we're doing the main salmon, and then the east fork, south fork into the south fork. And then if you look at a map, it's like those are the prongs of a fork. And then we end up on one long stretch that goes all the way to the ocean. So from that main salmon, we'll continue into the snake and then the Columbia. So we'll be on skis, rafts, kayaks, and then switching into sea kayaks for over half of a big old flat water slog out to the ocean. And, and where do you where do you take out? Where's your final takeout? Our final takeout is in Astoria. So you don't paddle all the way out into the ocean, just into the beginning of that estuary there? We will physically paddle 
out through the Is, Columbia River Bar into the Pacific Ocean. You will go across yeah, the, the bar. That's why they got the former coastie. So. Right, because that's no joke. No, the Columbia River Bar is colloquially known as Cape Disappointment for a reason. So we're acknowledging that much of the whitewater that we're doing will be challenging and demanding in terms of physical river knowledge. But crossing crossing a bar into the ocean is also a pretty pretty sporty experience. So we're going into that with eyes wide open. Is the bar at Astoria past it? Yeah, so when you're when you're coming out of the Columbia, Astoria is on the southern shore of the Columbia River, and then you've got Long Beach, Washington, on the northern shore. So we're gonna go ahead and paddle past the city of Astoria, and then you get into this kind of like you know we'll be in the estuary for quite a while, but then you get into this um, very maritime zone, which has a lot of ship traffic, a lot of buoys, a lot of angsty sea lions, and other um, residents that we'll be encountering. And once you enter the bar, the bar is a very long stretch of basically two riprap just barriers that help break these really aggressive, massive ocean waves that slam into the beach in Astoria and Long Beach. Um, And you can imagine that that creates some pretty exciting wave action, especially once you start getting out towards the tips of the Columbia River bar jetties. Um, So we're going to have to be really intentional about winds, tides, outgoing currents, all of those things, and ensuring that, yeah, we're timing it well. Yeah, right. So uh, a lot of lot of river trips you might go on. You uh, there's a few key rapids that are uh, on your mind. Right. The last of your trip is on your mind. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like several months yeah. down the line. Okay. Yeah. You officially launched. When did you officially launch? Uh, April thirtieth. This is Libby. April thirtieth was the official launch on Marsh Creek. April thirty, and then you move around up here, and then when do you end? When do you take out? Uh, we're aiming to be at Astoria July fourteenth or fifteenth is our target end date. Nissan has a lot of trucks and cars to choose from. Today, we're going to look at their newly updated Frontier midsize truck. And in the middle of this episode, we're going to talk about their fully electric vehicles. The Nissan Frontier, this is a midsize four-wheel drive truck. It has a new look for 2022. Check it out. It's pretty sharp looking. This Nissan Frontier comes in two styles. They have the crew cab with four doors and a short or a long bed or they have the king cab model with a long bed. What is important to me in a truck is how much weight it can carry and pull. And what I really mean is, can the truck get me and a stack of riverboats and my river friends to the boat ramp? Does it drive and feel safe? And can it keep those speeds steady when we're driving uphill with all that load? That's my criteria. This new Nissan Frontier has a six cylinder, 310 horsepower engine with a nine speed transmission. That's providing a lot of power and a lot of smooth shifting of gears. And this truck can carry about 12 to 1600 pounds in the truck and it can pull a trailer with about 6200 pounds of total weight. In riverboat terms, that is several boats and frames and boxes and coolers, all your dry bags and your water jugs that are full, and yes, even your friends or my friends, maybe all of them. Check out your Denver area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com. Tell them the River Radius podcast sent you. So I'm hearing I'm hearing each of you kind of chatter a little bit about the why, um, but specifically, let's talk about the why. It's fun, right? You know, however long, like let's go paddle all these places and ski all these places and unload all these piles of gear and reload and live in cabins and have people drive you around and uh, have parties for you. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's a good summary. <laughs> Unloading gear. <laughs> but there's another why to this. There's actually a very different why, I would think, separate from that. Um, it's, it's been touched on, but but why? What are the details of, of what's going on behind the pressure for you to go on this several-month-long odyssey of sorts this is alia i think that this is a really timely project and really important that this is happening right now especially because of um, some of the politics that are going on in washington state around this issue so senator patty murray and governor jay inslee right now are 
um, gathering comments and trying to decide what their official recommendation is going to be largely around these lower Snake River dams. And so there is the possibility that they're going to make a recommendation to breach, which would be huge. And that's obviously really what we're fighting for here. But their decision is set to come out right around the time our trip ends. So right around the middle of July, potentially. So I sort of see this trip as having two parts, I think, especially from my perspective as the filmmaker. There's the journey that we're on. And in that sense, the reason that we really need a strong social media team and that we're so lucky to have all the support that we do is that this decision is being made right now while we're on the water. And so we need to be driving action both through community events and through social media outreach and really like rallying this cry while we're on the water. And obviously that's a little bit tricky to do for us when we're spending so many days and hours paddling and out of service. And so um, that's something that's a lot of that work is happening behind the scenes, but we're really trying to drive that action um, so that when this decision comes out in July, it's hopefully favorable and uh, they're recommending to breach these dams. These are federal dams and so it takes federal action to remove them. And uh, this issue didn't really have a lot of political momentum behind it for a long time until Mike Simpson um, finally brought it back to the table. So Mike Simpson's particular initiative didn't make it as far as we hoped that it would, but this is kind of the first time that this issue is really back on the table. So I think that there's a lot of people who have been fighting for this for a long time, especially a lot of uh, tribal leaders have been fighting for this. And there's so many people whose work we are following who have been doing this work for a long time. But this is just a really special moment in time and that the issue really is back on the table. And so I don't think that all of us are like the stone cold experts in this issue, but I think it is a really important time to be uniting the people who are doing this work and just elevating those voices, especially tribal voices, which is something that I'm really looking forward to gathering interviews and we're trying to follow that leadership, especially for the film. So that's kind of the other part of it that I mentioned is I see the film as somewhat of a separate story and that it's obviously going to take time in post-production and after the trip to put this all together. And by that time, this may be somewhat of an environmental success or tragedy, depending on what decision we see coming out in Washington. But that being said, I think that these are ongoing battles and this is going to be a really important environmental story to tell one way or another. And so in the film, I see, I see us as being the people who are taking the journey and I think that it's important that it's it's essentially going to be a learning process through our eyes. It's not that we have all the answers, but we're going on this journey to learn and to share that with people to kind of put them in our shoes and share what this place actually looks like and feels like and the communities that are already involved in this issue. This is Brooke. The return rate of Snake River Basin salmon to the Stanley Basin has declined precipitously. And so much in fact that in 2021 there were four sockeye salmon that made it back to the stanley basin that returned to the stanley basin four there should be more significantly more the goal for recovery of sockeye salmon is around 9,000 salmon per year that would make it back to the stanley basin and there were four last year stanley basin that'd be the main fork of the salmon okay the declines have been significant enough that scientists are saying that if these dams aren't breached, these salmon populations will go extinct. So we're just at this moment where we need to do something right now. So there's a lot of power and energy going into this trip. And there's this, this timing of kind of federal action, state action, recommendations uh, right around the time you, you get done. You know, my original question was to ask, like, how do you take all of this and in post post time of your trip, how do you translate that into something powerful? But it's like read and run. Like, you have to make this happen. It's very real time. How do you turn this, how do you translate all this energy into something that's usable right away? This is Haley. When we talk about turning energy into functional result. I think we are not the perfect people to do this, but we're the people who are here and available and have something ready to go. And I think that's 
that's part of advocacy work in terms of results also is there are a million different ways <laughs> to get salmon back into this basin in terms of how we engage with people. And so we do do that via social media. You know, we have incredible support from Sara, from Tess, from Danielle, from, yeah, just like I, I could list individuals for a very long time. You can also go on our website and see this list that says team and then all of these other individuals underneath these four paddlers that we are. Um, so, you know, you have this website that's integrating events, that's engaging with communities. We're pulling into towns and saying there is a river-focused art event going on right now. That is right up our alley. We are going to go engage with all of these people that we know have passion, and we're going to go then put these advocacy tools that we have now been equipped with in their hands as well. And then all of a sudden you have half a dozen artists who then have their platforms within these local communities, and they are now spreading that messaging and saying, hey, take the Murray Inslee questionnaire and tell them why you, as a person with a relationship with the Salmon River, because you live in Salmon, Idaho, want these dams removed. And so everywhere we're going, we are as best we can, integrating into these communities and saying, hi, nice to meet you. Tell me why you love the river. This is why I love the river. And then we're we're quite literally like handing out postcards and saying, hey, have you taken that survey yet? Have you written your representatives? Have you written Deb Holland? Have you written the VP POTUS? Like, let's talk about it. Because they're pieces that I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I want to do that. And we never get around to it because life is consumptive and wild and intense. And then we're here in this moment and we can say, hey, right this minute while we're here with you, we could do this together. And it's it's kind of amazing because it's very fragmented and here, there and everywhere. But because we're here right now with these people, we can be the catalyst. And so we're doing that everywhere we're going <laughs> and and I think that's part of it is it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to do something. And that's how we're trying to we're trying to do advocacy while we're very sunburnt and blistered and cold and figuring it out. Brooke, I have a question for you. You brought it up earlier and you said it in one of the other podcasts that you were recorded in. Uh, and you talked about that, the conversion from being like a, a race river river person, competitive river person to stepping not just lightly, but very deeply now into this conservation effort. Talk about that. Like, do you expect everyone to just follow suit? What, like, what can other people do that they can still be play boaters or competition boaters or just weekend river runners on their raft with their family, but let some of that lifestyle open up to, a little bit of conservation. When I started competing and was like at the peak of my competition career, I didn't see myself stopping competing. It was, you know, I was like on this high and I was on the US team and I was getting featured in articles and it was just this great life. And then I experienced a round of injuries and illness and all this stuff that kind of brought me away from the competition scene and into this other life of back back into academia because I'm someone who just needs to be focused on something and goal oriented. So when I couldn't, when my body wasn't working enough to compete, I went back to academics, which it has been a huge part of my life in the past. And so, yeah, now I'm at this place where I have this huge academic part of my life. And then also I have this kayaking part of my life, which has given me this big platform on social media and in the kayaking world in general. And so I kind of made the decision to combine them, combine the academics with the kayaking and with my platform and utilize it as this way to tell this story to a lot of people because we, like I have this platform and I'm very lucky to have this platform. And it's, so it's like been a multiple things, like both I was forced away from competition and forced into this other life, but I was also, I also chose it. I'm also much more fulfilled doing what I'm doing now 
than when I was competing. And I never expected to ever say that because it was like such a tragic thing in my life to lose those competitions. But now like I, I wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. And it's pretty, pretty freaking cool that now I'm like getting to do this 1000 mile mission with all these badass women for this amazing cause. And we're using this platform for this cause to save the salmon and keep them from going extinct. And I get to combine all the things I love in my life. I get to combine the kayaking. I get to combine the academics. I get to combine these badass women and like empowering women to do stuff like this. And it's really cool. So this other interview, which was this morning, he's talking, he's explaining the salmon life cycle. And he's talking about how the salmon come up river, the females find the gravel and they make the spot for the red and they put the eggs in. And then the males lay the sperm and the females stay and the males go elsewhere. And the first question was, do both fish come back to their natal spot? And his answer was females exactly, males generally. Females hang with the with the eggs for what three to five days and then they die. And my question was, are salmon a matrilineal society? And so then I had to call my, uh, you know how like what's that game show you get um, a call out? Oh, oh who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah, yeah, I had to, I had to do my yeah. call out, and and my call out is to my girlfriend. So I I called her and I was asking her like, how do I bring that question into this? And so her. Her kind of summary for it was that her view of what's happening to the salmon is like the micro of the macro of what is happening to the natural systems of the earth and to women and the cycle of creativity and the cycle of reproduction. And so she's just bringing in this idea of like women nurturing and women protecting. And it's a reflection, like what's happening to salmon is a reflection of everything. And that the four of you and the majority of your team is women. And then I wonder who else is coming to the table and it's tribes and it's kids and talk to me about that. This is Haley. I think, I think, you know, in my many years on the river, I have paddled with both men and women and I have found love in so many spaces. Um, And I think, you know, you look at those female salmon returning to like this, this is where I put my red. This is my special place. And, you know, as we've paddled, like, we've had those conversations like, oh, where's your dream cabin? Like, where are you nesting? Where are you creating your warmth and your space? And, like, just scattering your love. And and I think there is this, maybe it's instinctive, maybe it's not, maybe I'm projecting, but I think there is this tendency and this, deeply feminine energy that comes with just wanting to care for something and not not let it get messed up beyond repair just make it beautiful make it safe make it I guess for a salmon you would want to make it cold not make it warm but um you know it's interesting that you you ask about salmonid species and the roles of the females and the males and in, in addition to studying, studying salmonid fisheries biology, I also specifically studied orca behaviors in the Salish Sea, um, and the salmon from the Snake River Basin are actually one of the most massive contributors to at least resident orcas' diets. And if you want to talk about a matrilineal society, it would be orcas. Um, orcas always, always follow the oldest female. She is the one with the longest memory who knows where the best fish are or if they're transients, who knows where, you know, the juiciest, plumpest sea lions and stellar uh, or stellar sea lions and harbor seals can be found. And, and there is something to be said for you educate and you empower women and globally you actually see an increase in sustainable lifestyles. You empower women to make their own decisions about reproduction. You give them reproductive health education. You give them education on how to sustainably grow and 
save food. And all of a sudden, you see these societies being like, oh, did you look at that? We're pretty self-sufficient. I don't want to dismiss the role of men and those who identify as men in this conversation because your role is so critical. But I think listening to women and supporting them, it's a big deal, and we need to do better. So thank you for listening to all of us today because we really appreciate it. Nissan has been building fully electric vehicles for 12 years and has over 5 billion miles on this fleet as a testament to their efficacy. That is billion with a B. Nissan has two electric vehicles to choose from. That is the Leaf and the new Aria. Both of these electric vehicles can handle most day runs on the river. You can put your friends in the car with you. You can have your boats loaded on the roof or in the hatch. You can throw a bike on a bike rack and run your own shuttle. The Nissan LEAF for 2022 has a range between 150 and 225 miles. This is a smaller car with four doors and a hatchback. You can easily add a roof rack system. You can also fold the seats down for inside cargo space. The second vehicle from Nissan is the new Aria. This will be available in the fall of 2022 and you can reserve this car now. This is a slick looking four-door SUV, has lots of comfortable features and a range up to 300 miles, and they even have an all-wheel drive model. Again, you can reserve that Nissan Aria now. Check out your Denver area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com. Tell them the River Radius Podcast sent you. Youth Salmon Protectors is a group of young people from the Pacific Northwest who are also focused on keeping the Snake River Basin salmon alive and well. Of all these interviews I have conducted in these several episodes about the salmon of Idaho, these interviews with Youth Salmon Protectors were the very first interview options on my list. For me, kids are the magic and the clearest perspectives. I met with their national director, Shiva, in Boise, Idaho at the headquarters for Youth Salmon Protectors. Would you tell me, would you tell me your name? Shiva Rajbandari. I don't usually ask people how old they are, but I think in this situation, it matters. Can you tell me how old you are? Yeah, I'm 17. You're a junior in high school? Yeah, Boise High School right here, three blocks. Okay. Tell me about this organization, Youth Salmon Protectors, and tell me your role. Yeah, so I direct a program called the Youth Salmon Protectors, um, which is really this coalition of over 2,000 students across Oregon, Idaho, and Washington working to save wild salmon and steelhead by restoring the lower snake river. Um, and for us, I think it's more than just saving the salmon. I think it's about making communities whole. Um, and I think for a long time, a lot of voices have been left out. Um, and I think when we talk about fishing, we often think of like old men who like go fishing and you know, you think of your grandpa or like your uncle, when really this is really a youth issue. You know, these are our fish that are going extinct because of some guys' dams, what, from 50 years back. Um, and it's time to reimagine the way that we do business here in the Northwest. Tell me more about this organization. 2,000 students, young people. Is there like a criteria that you can only be so young or so old? I think youth is like kind of a word that's thrown around a lot. But we just have students from like elementary school to like after college. As long as you're comfortable being here with us. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did you say you're in charge? Uh, yeah, I direct the program, yeah. You direct the program. So uh, did you found the program? Uh, no. So Asa Menlo founded it back in, last year. But then I quickly got on board and, um, and then I took over in, in June last year. So I work here at the Idaho Conservation League as the Youth Engagement Coordinator, um, which is a really unique position. I think it's really cool that they like hired a young person to like engage young people because sometimes it's like some weird kind of mentor role and I think it really should come from like from the ground up. I, I assume you're looking for the four snake dams to be removed. Yeah, that's exactly right. How do you all organize, communicate, get together and do things that are towards that end goal? Yeah, I think it's really hard for youth organizing just to exist because I think, you know, in our society we're really like disempowered you know, we can't vote, elected leaders don't take us seriously. And it's like people, especially on the salmon issue, there've been people working for like 40 years um, trying to remove these dams. And so now for us to join, we're like very amateur, but we use several tactics. We've done a lot of banner drops 
um, taking sheets and sewing them and then painting them and hanging them up off bridges, buildings. We go into classrooms and talk a lot. One of my colleagues developed a game called Salmon Tag, um, which was reported on in the, in the Statesman, but we, we play that at elementary schools. It's cool, it's like someone's the sun um, and then all the other kids are the salmon and the sun has to tag the salmon. Um, and then you play with a dam and then the dam steps closer every time the sun tags someone. Uh, and then with climate change, you, now there's three suns. Um, and then we have a youth salmon protector who goes and breaches the dam and gets kids out of the dam. So you play like four rounds. But I think it communicates the point, you know, climate change and these dams are killing these wild salmon and steelhead. And then we do, we do a lot of, you know, grassroots work, talking to elected officials. Um, we've met with, I met with Senator Crapo, um, Governor Little's staff, Senator Richard Snaff. We've sent over like 5,000 postcards to our elected leaders here in Idaho and probably, what, 7,500 across Oregon, Washington, asking for, you know, our elected leaders just to come to the table, just engage with this issue. Um, because we've seen so much leadership from Congressman Simpson, but really these other, other leaders are, are just kind of cowering um, behind uh, an issue that really, you know, they need to take action on. And so those are kind of our, our, our main strategies, just really trying to get elected officials aware that, hey, students care about this issue. Um, and then also, you know, spreading the word. So you're saying that you feel like elected officials are not paying attention, ignoring your voice, and not just you as Shiva, but you as a youth, as a young person in, in the modern society. You're also saying you're meeting with different elected officials. Yeah. Are any of so you said Simpson is, is paying attention? Are any of the other ones paying attention? Are they all just kind of saying you're you're nice, you're cute, go on? I think that's often the mantra. Um, because I think, you know, when you're talking to an elected official, you're not really talking to an elected official. Um because all they care about is getting elected, right? So it's our job to make sure that that is something that, you know, requires them to get elected, is, you know, working to save the salmon and talking to young people, I think. But I, as far as who's acting on, on Salmon and Steelhead, I'd say Simpson is definitely a leader, along with, you know, Earl Blumenauer from Portland. And um, I mean, we'll see about Inslee and, and Murray, I'm sure you know about the plan that they're developing coming out in July here. Um, but, you know, we're waiting, you know, we're watching and waiting. Governor Little, who said some things, you know, he said, oh, these dams, Washington's getting all the benefits and Idaho's paying all the costs. And yet, where is he when Simpson comes out with a very science-based, reasonable plan to, to, to breach these dams? Same with Senator Crapo. It's just been AWOL. Um, and I won't even get started on Senator Risch. How are you otherwise being received? Tell me about the impact you are having otherwise. Yeah. I think we're having a really big impact on this issue as a whole. I think, um, you know, here in Boise, where we started, definitely we've seen this narrative change of this is more than just, you know, grandpa wants to fish. This is, you know, everybody's on board. This is a tribal justice issue. This is really a youth issue, you know. These are our fish and these 50-year-old dams that are, are killing them and, and leading them to extinction. And I think the fact that a lot of us have never even seen some of these fish that, you know, we have them all over town on murals and stuff, but you go into the river, you don't see these 50-pound Chinooks swimming up the, up the river anymore. Um, and I think that there's definitely that sense of loss there that really a lot of people like that really people can't relate to in, in older generations because they have seen those those fish. And so I'd say like we brought a lot of new energy into this movement um, and we've changed this narrative to this is, you know, an everybody issue. And this is all hands on deck for the salmon. And so what is the outcome that you're looking to have? We want those dams breached and we want it now. Um, and I think we want a full full change in the way that we we do energy and, and transportation here in the Northwest. We want clean energy. These dams are not clean. I mean, they're producing tons of methane and, and it's not clean to be killing a keystone species, something that's, you know, been the lifeblood of our rivers for millions of years. That's not clean energy, right? Um, so we want those dams replaced with real clean energy, solar or wind. Um, and we want to see an investment in, in, in rail transit and um, a new way to do transportation in the Northwest and participate in that global economy that doesn't involve, you know, killing something that's so essential to who we are as, as Idahoans, as, as residents of the Northwest. You're 17. Let's, uh, let's pop out 50 years from now. In theory, those dams will be a hundred years old. 50 years from now, you'll be 67. And a lot of the people that are making those decisions that are sustaining those dams They'll either be gone or they'll be really old. Yeah. 
what is the world you want to live in when you are that age, when you are the age of many of the people that are saying no? Well, first of all, it's not a question of if the dams come out. Those dams are coming out. The question is, are the politicians coming out with them? And I think we get to decide that this year. Um, this is an election year. We can, we can change who's, who's making our decisions. When I'm 67, I want to, I, I, I really want to see us learn to coexist with um, the natural structures you know, that God created here and that, and that have been here for millions of years. Um, I think that, you know, the, the things that salmon bring to the Northwest, more than just like the nutrients, the, the energy that they bring into our ecosystems is so much more powerful than any barging operation, any, you know, power generating money scheme. These salmon are who we are in the Northwest. And, I, and I'd like to see us recognize that. And, and secondly, I'd like to see us honor the commitments that we made to indigenous peoples. Uh, what, 150 years ago, these are one-sided treaties, right? The federal government pushed these tribes into treaties, into ceding their land, so that the federal government would recognize the inherent rights that these tribes already had. And, and now we are reneging on that, on that commitment with these dams by allowing these dams to continue to exist by putting these dams up in the first place that is perpetuating the history of oppression of indigenous peoples across the Northwest. And that is part of the story that is not told enough, right? These, this is an indigenous justice issue more than anything else. And, I, and I'd like to see us recognize that. So you're speaking about tribal issues. How is youth salmon protectors hanging out, talking, engaging with the various tribes of the Northwest? Yeah, we, when you look at our brochure here, I have our brochure right here. The first thing it says, it says the, the dams need to come out and it says tribal justice, climate crisis, Columbia Basin issue explained. Tribal justice is number one. I, I, th I think it's really important that as young people we're meeting with, with the tribes and working with them. So I'll give you an example. This weekend we're going up to, to Lewiston to go see that, that totem pole, the Snake River to Salish Sea totem pole that the, the Lummi leaders, the Clackamas tribe is bringing across the Northwest and, and really working in tandem with uh, Nimipu Protecting the Environment, um, an organization out of Lapwai that's been doing a lot of work really spearheading this issue. And I, I think at every level, you know, we need to, to support the tribes. And so I think that's really become our mantra for sure. But it's hard, right? For here, organizing in Boise, where everyone, you know, we've got all these folks who, who really haven't learned about the tribal history, um, learned about sovereignty in, in the way that we really should um, in school. And so it's, it's really hard to kind of bring that exposure to students. But I think it's something that's so important. It's something that's really not talked about enough. My second interview with you, Salmon Protectors, happened in Lewiston, Idaho, which sits at the confluence of the Snake and Clearwater Rivers and is about 50 miles upstream from the first of the four Lower Snake River dams. I sat down with Scout in her family's house at the dining room table. Scout, would you start off and just introduce yourself? Tell me your name, where you live, and kind of your life. Yeah. Okay, so I'm Scout. Uh, fun fact about me is I have a twin sister who I've always grown up with, and I have a brother and a dog. Um, yeah, and I live in Lewiston, Idaho, and I've always lived in Idaho, and I go to Lewiston High School. I'm a sophomore, and I'm 16 years old currently, and I really love music. I've been playing guitar for a long time and trumpet, and I love being outdoors. That's one thing I'm really passionate about, and it's kind of one of the reasons I'm passionate about this issue is because I love um, the outdoors so much. And yeah, coming with the outdoors, I'm also really an athletic person. I love to go on runs and I play tennis and I'm also a cheerleader. So that takes a lot of like my, um, that's a lot of time, but it's also really fun because I get to do a whole lot with my school, but that's a whole different tangent. Um, but yeah. You know, driving around in Lewiston and other, other communities in the state, I see... I see salmon yeah. uh, signs, uh -huh. salmon art, salmon murals, salmon, all kinds of things. Can you tell me tell me what you have kind of grown up to understand that salmon mean to Idaho, eastern Washington, to Lewiston? Yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, like you're saying, like when you first drive into Lewiston, there's this mural like made out of metal and there's sa like salmon through it. And 
growing up, I'm always just hearing stuff about salmon, um, you know, and I've also been in Lucent. I've heard about people like coming here to go um, fishing for salmon and all sorts of stuff like that. Like even in fifth grade, we there was like a unit we had where we got salmon eggs and then raised them and then went down to a park down here and released them into the river, you know? Like I live right next to the river, so this is something that I've always been really connected to. Um, but yeah, I've just seen salmon everywhere since I've been a kid. Um, and you never really think about that salmon could be such a like endangered species as they are because they're just so prevalent everywhere you look in Idaho. You know, they're on murals, they're on signs, they're on like license plates. But so salmon, honestly, I think we don't, I've never really talked about them a lot. It's always just kind of been one of those things as an Idahoan where I just think like, oh, salmon's are, salmon is one of those things that's super prevalent in Idaho. And I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about salmon and the issues kind of surrounding it. Um, and it was hard to imagine a world without salmon because it's so like heavily influenced on the culture, like not just in Idaho, but in the entire Pacific Northwest, you know? Like things, especially like when you go into a restaurant sometimes here in the PNW, it'll be like, like Snake River Salmon Burger or say something kind of like that where it just the association is almost made towards Idaho and these rivers and then you also like can't talk about like the relationship people have in the PNW to salmon like without talking about native people too you know like salmon are such important species to native culture um, in like tribal culture around the Pacific Northwest not specifically just in Nez Perce which is just up the road from here um but yeah, like there's special ceremonies centered around salmon here. And so I think it's just super like amazing how much of a connection that people have to salmon in this part of the world. So can you tell me about youth salmon protectors? What is that? What's your role? Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me about that. Okay, so the Youth Salmon Protectors is a program kind of put on by the Idaho Conservation League. Um, and it's a group of, or little groups of people, of youth across the Pacific Northwest um, that have a goal of honoring tribal treaties, saving wild salmon, and removing the four lower Snake River dams um, because the ultimate goal is to save the salmon, which are, have been an endangered species for quite some time now. Um, and then my role is, I'm actually fairly new to all this, which is really cool because I've been super interested in this topic for a handfuls of years now, and I just haven't really known what to do until probably a year and a half ago, I joined a Zoom call that was on the Idaho Conservation League's net page, and it was talking about um, like kind of some of the youth salmon protector stuff, and I just really became interested in that stuff. Um, so I really wanted to get involved, so I decided to start a chapter here in Lewiston, which I thought could be a really good idea because we right, live right next to the Snake River. The dams are just 40 minutes up the river. Um, so, and I would say my role is kind of just to organize, um, organize chapter meetings, organize letter writing meetings, organize ways to raise awareness here in the um, valley because it's surprising the amount of people who don't even realize the issues with the dams or the issues with salmon here. Like even some of my closest friends who are also really like outdoorsy people and really love the rivers and love um, just the outdoors in general didn't realize that salmon were such a like keystone species and how endangered they were as a species as a whole. How's that going? Have you have you brought some other of your your schoolmates, your friends? Yeah, I have. Um, just like a week ago, I had like a pretty solid sized group of people here at my house, and um, I got sent postcards and stickers um, from some of the Boise Youth Salmon Protectors, and I had to really break it down for all of them because they just like weren't sure of what the issue was here. Um, and so so far, it's just been really raising awareness here, and. Um, letting people know that this is like a prevalent issue that's going to affect us as young people. Um, yeah, and some of our goals are just to like write to our senators, write to our representatives about the issue. That's why we have these postcards here, um, which are really pretty, really beautiful. Tell me about yourself. Like, like why, why, why this matters to you, this, this idea of um, engaging around the salmon as a fish and then the Snake River dams. Yeah. Why, why are, why, why does this matter to you? Like, why are you, 
Why are you engaged? I'm engaged for a lot of reasons. One is I just, I grew up rafting and fishing. Um, so that's just always, I've always kind of just had this connection to the river and everything that comes with it. And as a human and as like someone who's in their youth, I feel it kind of as a responsibility for me to take care of all the species that are involved within this river, which is like that harnesses so many different things that I love. Um, and, you know, I kind of, we grew up learning about salmon being loose in Idaho. We grew up learning about salmon as kids. Like we would take uh, school field trips to the hatcheries and kind of watch that process. And they would tell us about the salmon and we would raise salmon in our classroom and um, have like fish and game people bring salmon that we could dissect and like kind of that whole thing. Um, and then I also just genuinely care about the environment. And I know that salmon are just such an important species to the ecology of everything around me. It's just such an important thing for us as humans to preserve. So then, you know, the last question I have in my notes is, what do you respect? As you look at other humans, your peers, a generation below you, generations above you, what is it that you respect? I respect, honestly, I just try to have as much, like, respect for people that I can have um because you know one of those kind of things you just never know what other people are going through um but as a like I guess as someone who's trying to advocate for these salmon I'm trying to respect the land I'm trying to respect like all the culture that comes with these salmon and like speaking about culture that comes with salmon I'm trying to respect the tribes around us too um like I've just grown up I don't know 30 miles away from where uh the Nez Perce tribe is um so that's kind of just always been something that I've grown up to and you want to respect that type of culture that they have tied to the fish and the type of spiritual connection that they have um but I'm just trying to exist without causing harm to others and causing harm to our planet which ultimately is something that you can't really do but you can try your best at um so yeah I guess that's what I respect (laughs) a source to see size thank you goes out to all of today's guests from youth salmon protectors and the grand salmon source to see crew in today's episode notes you can find a link to the Murray Inslee report the public comment period on that report closes on July 11th In today's notes, you can also find links to the Instagram accounts and websites for today's guest. Today's advertising sponsor is Nissan and the Denver area Nissan dealers. You can find a dealer locator link in today's notes. All of our music is created and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. I'm glad this isn't live. And thank you, Cookie Guy. The bloopers reel will be longer than the film itself. <laughs> pass, pass our uh, cookie oh, regards onto Alan. Oh my God, those are great. Yeah. <laughs>